Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Amplify Your Business. Today, I'm talking to John McGinnis. He is the founder and not founder CEO. We're going to get into that in a minute of Earthware. So this is a fascinating company whose mission is to basically eliminate all of those single-use containers that the food service industry is using. And this guy, John, is not a stranger to entrepreneurship. He is a lifelong entrepreneur, has started many, many businesses, exited a few of them. And I can't wait to get into this conversation. So welcome to the show, John. Thanks, Lance. I'm looking forward to it, too. Okay, so before we get into all the really juicy stuff about your background and, and what it is that Earthware is doing, can you tell me what are three things that you think every entrepreneur needs to know? Yeah, uh, and you sort of prepped me for this before, so I've, I've been thinking about it a bit. Uh, I, I would say probably the most important thing is don't ever give up. Uh, it's It seems like uh, something that everybody says, but uh, the, the one thing that entrepreneurs have that I think is um, uh, is maybe a little bit different from others, it's, uh, it's maybe a bit of a lack of fear when it comes to what the future looks like because it is really, really tough. But um, the next day, when you think it's all over, the next day things come around. So I've actually got this, I keep this on my desk and I don't know if you can see it, but it's always yeah. right beside me. And uh, somebody gave me this in my early 20s on one of my companies. And I do look over at it on because days are tough. Entrepreneurship is a really tough business. And uh, it's not for the faint of heart. So that's number one. Uh, number two is um, understanding your numbers. I mentor a lot of uh, a lot of companies. And the one thing that I find very quickly is that people who are getting to a modicum of success or even just start building into their businesses. They really, really don't understand their numbers and don't even see them. They wait for an accountant to give them to them four months after the, after the events have happened. Um, and so my biggest suggestion with that is early on, learn what a trailing 12 month average is and mm. start to build a, um, build yourself a spreadsheet that you're in charge of that you see every month that is uh, showing your revenue and expenses for every month. So you can see the fluctuations and trailing 12 is my favorite with that. Uh, so that's, a, that's a really big one. And, um, uh, maybe the last and maybe this is the first, but, uh, one of my early companies, uh, was one of those great college painting companies. And, uh, yeah. uh so I did that, I did that in university and, um, they had a very, very intense training. But the one thing that I remember that has always stuck with me is at the bottom of each of the pages of these massive manuals, it said, take good care of your employees and they'll take good care of you. And there's just no doubt that the bet you have to be thinking that the best part of your organization on a daily basis is having fun with the people that you work with. And that's the that's a real key. So those are my three. Yeah, yeah, those are all really great ones. The first one I wanted to d dig into a little bit, but don't give up because you're a lifelong entrepreneur. You've had many, many businesses. Um, I can't imagine that you've exited every one of them with a, a big windfall sale. So has there been any businesses? Um, not knowing the answer to this question, so I, 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 I'm curious to hear this, that you did end up actually having to like hang up the hat on that one and move on to a different business. Yeah. Um, so 
the answer is yes. Uh, uh, with a couple of the businesses, so uh, we sort of just migrated into different things. Yeah. Um, but uh, there are a couple where uh, that sort of come to mind, but I'll, I'll give you the most recent one. So before Earthware, uh, we were, I had, um, we had just exited two companies, done quite well, and we were looking at what to do next. And uh, I had had this idea in my head for quite a while about um, an on-demand package return system for, um, for Amazon and that kind of stuff because it's pretty easy to get the package to your house, but it's not always so easy to get it out there. And we spent a fair amount of money preparing this, hired staff, uh, and we're getting ready to launch. We had some deals in the US. It was a software play. And um, in the Christmas, I guess it would have been 2020 Christmas, COVID, everybody's getting everything to their house. Uh, yeah. uh, fe- sorry, UPS. Uh, USPS, the postal service in the US and Amazon all announced just before we, we came out to launch that they were going to have this service in the US, uh, on demand service. And so we did look at it and we kept going for a couple of months looking at it and figuring as we're building these partnerships. And in that case, I looked at it and I said, I just, we can't with the size of this company, we can't compete with these billion dollar entities. Yeah. yeah. But what came out of it is one of the partners that we were talking to on the to do the to do the package pickup. Um, they actually introduced us sort of on the, as an aside during a meeting where we all had takeout containers. They introduced us in California to a company that was using reusable takeout containers. And that to me just turn. I thought if there's one thing that I hate, it's all the garbage from takeout containers. So, like I said, it's it's. It's a little bit more like that's a huge pivot going from one big idea to earthware. And, uh, and, um, so I don't know if ideas die or whatever, but they, they do often migrate. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the really the interesting part, right? Because I think a lot of people will think of that statement of don't give up as being, being that you start a business, you got to die in that business. Uh, but that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about don't give up on entrepreneurship. Don't give up on the ideas and the the dreams and, and just keep persevering and finding ways of pivoting, uh, whether that's out of a line or modifying slightly a business or completely stopping one and transitioning into something else. Right. That's the don't give up. You got to keep persevering, persevering each and every day and just keep moving that forward. Right. Yeah, uh, that is a big part of it, but also it's the thousand little cuts that you get every day uh, yeah. as an entrepreneur. Uh, yeah. And it just doesn't seem, I think more often than not, it doesn't seem like you're getting anywhere. And, yeah. uh, and but you are. I mean, every day you're moving forward a little bit. And that's one of the things. So you've, you've got five days of a thousand cuts and one day of a great deal. And, <laughs> uh, and uh, so the ups, ups and downs are there, but I, I, I more mean in the business. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you've you've extrapolated perfectly. It's it's maybe the entire journey. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about Earthware. So I teased it at the beginning. You teased it a little bit there. How you've transitioned into this business now that you um, are trying to solve this uh, single use plastic takeout container issue that just exploded over COVID with skip the dishes and everything else. Everybody doing their deliveries. And um, now we're in a situation, I think, um, 
here in Canada anyway, where there's a heightened sensitivity to single use plastics. And this is obviously a big plastic user. And so you're going to solve this and, and you started Earthware then. So tell me a little bit more about it and how you ended up here. Yeah, happy to do that. One of the things though that I do like to point people, people to is it's not single use plastics. Uh, humans' relationships with plastics are maybe not the best, but they are an excellent, it's an excellent material. It's just yeah. when you throw it out right away. Uh, but also there is a lot of misinformation and a lot of, we're filling a hole with these uh, containers that say they're compostable or biodegradable. Everything's biodegradable, so they can say that, uh, including plutonium. So you might have a 10,000 here. Um, so there's a lot of misinformation in there. So it's more single use products uh, that we're trying to eliminate in this space. And, um, and it, while you hear plastics more often, I think you're going to start to hear from governments, it's single use items that you're going to, that they're going to start tackling. So just to start off with that. Um, so um, yeah, with Earthware, what we're doing is uh, our goal is to stop millions of single-use containers from going into landfills and maybe more important to me, garbage on the streets. I'm that guy on the hiking trail that always picks up stuff and, uh, and on the beach. And um, so I, I really don't like garbage. Uh, I, when I go to, I feel really badly when I go to places, other places in the world, and there's just garbage everywhere. It drives me nuts and garbage on the side of the street. So that's kind of my, my bent is the garbage side here. Um, yeah. And we've all, when we get takeout meals, we've all had that feeling at the end of the meal where you've got stacks of these containers that probably aren't being recycled properly, mostly aren't compostable, and they're just going in the landfill or you'll walk down the street and more often than not, you're going to see a takeout container on the street. So that's, that's kind of what we're doing. Now, what we've built is a, uh, a system that, um, uh, that allows people to take back our containers to the bottle depot and get money back. Our providers, restaurants mostly right now, but also food service companies, um, they, we sell them the containers. Uh, they use them like single use. And then the consumer gets them, takes them to the bottle depot or however you get your bottles and cans back. Um, they, um, and then they can get money back for them. We wash, sanitize, inspect, and then we sell them back to the restaurant similar to how they've bought single use. So we've really made the, pro made the process really easy. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a great idea. And something, like I said, it, there, there's more and more all the time of uh, these takeout containers coming into my house anyway. And I'd imagine it's the same with everybody. Yeah. yeah. And, and so that's a that's a lot of waste that you're removing from the streets, like you said. But at the same time, also that the development of the system to 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 get the into the restaurants and then get it into the bottle depot and recycling and that that must have been quite the journey. So is that the model that you started with or is this something that's been a bit of an evolution since you started the business in 2021? Yeah, it's um it's been an evolution. Everything that you're doing to get to market fit when you think about a when you think about a a product I mean, really, we were thinking, okay, people want this. It's how are we going to deliver it? And so when we started out, um, we, uh, we had one way that we had sent, that we sent a bunch of really expensive containers out into the marketplace, more like Tupperware, expecting them to come back, saying that we'd pick them up ourselves or had bins. And a lot of those didn't come back because they're great containers. People were using them on their own. And so yeah. 
then we had to go back to the drawing board. We looked at other companies around the world that are doing this, and we found that most of them had some sort of membership or subscription or some way to trace the containers. So we built a bunch of software around that and, um, and went back out to our restaurant partners and said, hey, let's try this. And that actually worked out okay. It was growing all right. But um, uh, two things that we found that we didn't love was one, um, in any given restaurant, because the customer had to come in and ask for them, and we only had so many members, and it was slow, we were only getting about 1% of the restaurant's volumes compared to their single-use containers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, that was growing, and it was great, and lots of people loved it, but it wasn't making the impact that we hoped for. And the logistics around getting the containers back was um, quite it was tough. So, you know, you asked about the logistics, going to people's houses to picking them up. Is that environmentally more friendly? Having bins around the city, uh, didn't matter how much we said these weren't garbage, people would throw garbage in them, of course. Mm. And uh, so those issues, we really wanted to figure out how to solve and we knew we were going to. And um, so where we are now and what the solution as we're expanding pretty rapidly is today, uh, we did a deal with the Bottle Depot Association, which is a world first. Nobody's ever done a deal with a, um, a deposit return system for anything other than beverage containers, especially for reuse. Every other system is, uh, is for recycle. And so we're pretty excited about that. That really works. And especially for Albertans and other provinces in Canada where we're expanding, um, the people are used to getting these things back. In fact, 80% of the time in Alberta, beverage containers make it back. You might not take them back yourself, but there's a ton of charities, bottle drives, those sorts of things. Or somebody's going to come around that relies on this as an income piece, and they're going to grab it and bring it back. But the key is that the system works, and 80% of the time, these these containers make it back. uh, Bottles and cans make it back through the system. So that's good. The other thing is we had to really look at the unit economics on the containers and maybe unit economics is pretty entrepreneurial thing to say or financing to say, but we needed to make sure that um, that we made money whether they came back or not because we knew the coming back was going to be slow. And so we changed our containers to significantly less expensive, less plastic, very, very strong containers. But uh, the key now is that if we don't get them back, we still make money. Uh, but our return rates and our return rates can go up every month. We just won't go broke waiting for this to come back. We make a little bit more money when they do come back. Yeah. Answer the question. Yeah, it totally does. And, and this is the thing that I love about, you know, all businesses is that product market fit evolution that occurs, right? You come to market with something that you think is going to be the answer. You have heard some pain points um, from, you know, the, the potential client base. And so you develop it and then you realize, no, there's a better way. And then in retrospect, it's kind of like, yeah, okay, well, this makes a lot of sense because you're not really disrupting or asking those uh, food service businesses at all to, to change anything, really. They're just replacing now a single use product with this one that can be reusable, everything else stays the same, right? That's right. And our our first two models, the restaurants actually had to do a ton of work. And so they had to change their menus. They had to change their menus on Skip the Dishes or DoorDash or whatever the, uh, whatever the, all of that stuff. Plus they had to track the containers and have technology and let us know when they were being used. And so we, we eliminated all those. And I think that's what the journey is for building a company is, uh, getting rid of every single roadblock you possibly can yeah. to 
to make it as easy as possible for both sides. In this case, we've got two sides. We've got the, the restaurants, the food service companies, the grocery stores, and we've got the consumer on the other end. Yeah. So now I, I'm really curious because you said this is the first time that anybody has really convinced the recycling depot that they're going to start taking, or it's a good idea to take something that's reusable as opposed to recycled. And so that, that must've been some interesting conversations in the early days. Um, and that must've been one of the bigger roadblocks. How did you overcome that with, with them? Was it just the vision to, to keep that garbage off the streets and that they really bought into, or are you just a hell of a sales guy? Um, yeah, I, I think, um, well, uh, I'll, I'll give you more of the journey is that, uh, so in Alberta and a lot of places, the, there's, there are levels, there's three different levels of association. So there's the Alberta recycling, which is the sort of the top end. They're the ones that are government, they're government run. Uh, and, uh, so they had to give their approval, which actually didn't take very much time, but really what it looked at is they looked at the legislation and say, where do these guys fit? Oh, they don't fit. Is it okay if we give our approval then? And, uh, and, and so with that level, it was approval, lack of approval, maybe, but it was, yes, you can to move to the next level. So the next level in Alberta was the Beverage Container Management Corporation, which essentially runs, they, they're the ones that give out the licenses for bottle depots. They're the ones who collect all the containers from the depots and bring them back to the recycling and, and pay the bills. And then the third level is the association of all the bottle depots. So all these independent businesses. So these businesses are independent. They've all built an association and they had to agree. And so the answer is it took a long time. Uh, but I think everybody really quickly aligned with the vision. And, you know, the, these depot systems, while we're the first to be able to bring in something that's not a beverage container and isn't going to recycling, uh, these guys do have a lot of capacity and I do believe that they're the future of, of a lot of things that could be reused and brought back for reuse purposes. And they're already, a lot of them take back electronics and things like that. But again, mostly for a recycling stream. Um, but they're as excited as we are because one, it's a new revenue stream for them and everybody's always looking for a new revenue stream. Um, and, uh, and their mission is similar. Let's get rid of this crap. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to be able to communicate that desire and sell them on the, you know, the the end goal that you're trying to achieve. And and I mean, it would make sense that they're trying to achieve something similar. Um, but at the same time, I understand, you know, trying to get uh, something that's entrenched, you know, decades and decades of history of one way of thinking about recycling or, or, or waste management and then uh, having them pivot a little bit would be difficult. So uh, good on you for navigating through that. And, and the best of luck is you try to do that in the rest of the provinces. Now, yeah, when thanks. It... And I'll just add to that. I mean, Alberta, we are the best in the world or pretty close to the best in the world at, at uh, deposit return system for our beverage containers. We've got one of the highest one. And, and so, uh, as you said, it, it was, it did take a long time to get it done, but it was a lot more dotting the I's and crossing the T's. I think that the vision was all, uh, was, was really accepted early. And, yeah. uh, and you know, you asked about the other provinces. Um, I think because Alberta is so good at this and when we've talked to other provinces, we've, the doors have opened way faster. And so yeah. it looks like we'll be able to get into, and it's not just here. I mean, there's, there's probably about a hundred or 200 
municipalities, governments, and those around the world that have good deposit return systems or okay deposit return systems, but Alberta is going to be able to open the door for those. Yeah, that's really great. So now in terms of your history as an entrepreneur, so how many businesses, 40, 50 businesses you've, you've started? Probably not 40 or 50. Uh, I don't actually know. Uh, I was one of those guys, like even when I was a kid, I used to collect my parents' friends' books and sell them to used <laughs> bookstores. So it, it's kind of what I've always done. I, I like to say I've only had two real jobs and uh and uh that's working for others um yeah so uh but i think overall it's about six or seven okay years. sorry and i don't know where the 40 to 50 came from i i thought i had heard that uh earlier nope. when we were talking but uh okay so you had multiple businesses this latest venture then in the string of businesses that you've been involved with you're, you're coming at it now with all sorts of experience and so what is easier now with this venture than what it was in the you know earlier days when you were first starting uh your entrepreneurial journey with you know substantial sized businesses somewhere yeah i i think probably the only thing that's easier uh the whole journey is still really really tough like everybody anybody that's tried this knows that it's really really tough to get a business up and going uh, but the thing that I kind of have now that uh, I didn't know maybe in my early 20s is I understand structure. I understand what makes the, what makes it tick. I understand how the, the key performance indicators that you need. I told you about the trailing 12. So I've got a lot of that background that probably that I don't have to relearn. Um, and so I think it's, it's kind of the standing on the shoulders of, of myself maybe over time and the other folks uh the other thing that i've been lucky with is that i've got a, i've got a great team and a lot of the team have been with me for uh several companies and so uh that that really makes a difference for people th being able to think the way i do and understand yeah. when i come up with certain concepts that we've talked about before and they're just different so i think it's more structure uh but tactically um uh so strategic is is there but tactically it's still you got to get a customer. You got to get you got to get revenue. You got to make sure the customer doesn't disappear once you get the customer. And uh, and um, and then and cash is always the thing too. So when I think about a business, it's people, process, cash. It's sort of a three-legged stool. One of the legs is always needing a shiv, and uh, is always going to need to be pushed up. So you've got to know when to concentrate on those pieces. And yeah. uh, when two legs are going you're going to fall over and so you gotta you gotta really think about that stuff so i i think again it's just history and experience so one of the things that i find at times um is uh, you know i've had a few different businesses along the way and and i almost kind of get a little little bored i'm i'm the if i've been you know in it for too long uh, and i think that this is a common thing amongst serial entrepreneurs where um, the business itself might, you know, be very challenged or challenging, or it could be really successful. Um, but there's just this kind of itch to build something more or to tinker and to do something different. Are you, inf you know, inflicted by that as well? Or uh, is it uh, uh, some other motivation that has you uh, building one business and then moving into the next and so on? Yeah, I think, and maybe this goes back to your three things for entrepreneurs. One of the biggest mistakes I think entrepreneurs make is they tend to 
move into roles where they're not as important as they're as important in the company and so they uh, go out and they listen to a speech from some business guru and uh, there's a, there's the shiny object syndrome and the whole shiny object object syndrome is really in my mind and maybe i'm right or wrong but in my mind it's as much hey i'm still important let's implement this uh and screw everybody up and so you've got to be really really careful when you hear about all these business ideas and how things can work about how you implement those um and so that sort of comes back to uh yes you go through a bunch of different stages where uh uh you become less important you're delegating things you um you maybe are going to try and ring it back and you don't even know that you're trying to do this and become more in control and so uh my outlet is i do a lot of mentoring of other companies and so that's how i get my jam and other companies yeah. listening listening to others and i get ideas of little things and i and and except for the very early days of a company really you're driving down the road and it's small small corrections and bringing in big corrections usually cause more problems than they're worth and so stay away from the shiny object stuff but um uh, if you possibly can, but, uh, that's how I get my bent. So absolutely. I'm thinking about ideas all the time. What else could I do? And, uh, I have to suppress that. So now this is a new industry for you, a, a new kind of business compared to what you were doing before, I presume. And so this being, you know, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, whatever number it is in terms of businesses, we talked about what is easier now for you, but what surprised you? in this venture where it's like, man, I didn't see that coming. That, uh, that's not the way that I had it <laughs> figured out. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things. Um, I think one of the things that surprised me and, and it's just because I hadn't done it before. So my previous companies had all been bootstrapped and friends and family and those sorts of things, people put uh, more of me allowing shareholders in than anything uh, or some, some stuff to get started. And, and, and so, all of those folks that went through my previous companies we've sold to in the last few years um, did really well out of it. And so with this company, we knew that there was going to be a, there's a much higher capital requirement. And I got to say, I'm, I'm finding it even to this day. I find raising money with a guy, you would figure that a guy that's done it before and, uh, and really has made a lot of people a lot of money. I would think that, that, but you know, they look at it more of an industry and those sorts of things. So that's something, and I think it's just because I haven't done it before. So I'm learning every day about it. And, uh, and, uh, so I've put a lot of money into this and now people are starting to see how it can work, but I think nobody believed it could work, but that happened with all my companies before after friends and family and nobody could believe yeah. it would work until it started really working. And uh, that's kind of where we are now. But I've I've been surprised about how tough it is to raise money. Yeah. So so on that topic, do you have any any advice for entrepreneurs who are in a similar boat where you know they haven't raised money before? Um, you know, besides the like you said, a, a friends and family kind of round or whatever, um, and they're jumping into that with their business currently. What what lessons have you learned along your journey of this new skill that you're trying to develop? Uh, what what tips do you have? I would say I don't really yet. I'm still learning. Still learning, uh, yeah. You know, it, but again, it, it kind of comes down to the base of don't ever give up and we're doing a good thing and this is the right thing and the market for this is so big. Like 
It's a $160 billion marketplace. You don't hear that very often worldwide, but just in, yeah. in Canada, it's a couple of billion dollars uh, in takeout containers. So you don't even really think about it, but the stampede over the last couple of weeks that we were at in Calgary, they used at least a couple of million containers uh, yes. that they bought somewhere and they all went in the garbage. And uh, so very sad the way that it works, but it is a, it's an evolution. And um, uh, yeah, so I, I, I think that um, I don't know the answer to that question yet, uh, but when I do, I'll go and do something about it and tell others. But uh, I, I think it's like anything else. You got to make the connections, make that, start the networking, get other people in. And I, I have learned because one of my two jobs was actually in venture capital is that once a few start coming in, they all see, oh, well, he's going to get money here. So we'll put in some money and it's, it's a bit of a flow that way. Yeah. Yeah. Once the, you get the first people in, then others will follow a little bit better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think generally that uh, even the timing is a little bit different now that uh, money was flowing pretty freely when it was 1% yeah. interest. Um, yeah. And I think that that's tougher now. And I totally agree uh, with people looking for traction and revenue and growth. Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think it's tough to, um, unless it's friends and family to get people to put in on an idea where there's no revenue, but that's just me. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. So I teased this in the intro when I introduced you, I said founder, not CEO, uh, because you were making a distinction before we hit the record button about those two roles. You've been a CEO, you've been a founder uh, and you're saying, you know what, I'm, I'm aspiring to become a CEO in this particular business. Can you tell me the difference in your mind between the two roles and uh, why you are choosing not to call yourself a CEO at this point? Yeah, I think, um, well, the biggest thing is that a CEO's role is uh, way more on the strategy. They're in charge of culture, uh, maybe a little bit more firefighting, but it, it it's, I, I described it to you earlier, uh, Whereas a founder, you're kind of the sun. Everything's working around you. Uh, you don't have you don't have the structure. You don't have all the people. Those sorts of things that, and you're not delegating out a bunch of roles and and becoming a piece where you're you're working much higher up on the strategy. You're more on the tactical side, and so you're more the sun. Whereas a CEO, you're a bit of the you're more of the moon, where uh, you are influencing the tides, but the tides are already happening. It's already going, and so you're you're more of a directing of an influencer, and uh, your job is less the day to day. And um, it's a it's a much different job. In some cases, it's a, it's very it's a lot tougher. In some cases, it's a lot easier because things are kind of working, and your job is to introduce strategy and make sure that the um, that the culture works out. And so, really, that's the difference. I don't think. I've earned the title of CEO. I'm working my way up to the title of CEO. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting perspective because, um, you know, there's so many people that I talk to who, you know, are like early stage startups or, or even, you know, it's just an idea on a, on a piece of paper at this point. And they're, they've got their business card with uh, founder and CEO on it. And I'm more, in your camp, in terms of when I built Ample Media, 
um, on my business card was not CEO or founder, actually. What I had on there was professional conversationalist because I, I was about business development. We had to have the sales and sales kind of fix a lot of problems, especially in those startup bootstrapping years and getting that revenue going. And so, so that's what I was focused on. Um, and I didn't actually assume the title CEO until uh, fairly recently after we had the structure and some size and the people in place where I now am much more focused on uh, the overarching strategy. Um, and so I really loved the way that you um, painted that visual of the, the, the sun versus the moon and, and the different roles that you find yourself in as the company is growing. So uh, very interesting. I think this will stimulate a lot of thought in, amongst our, uh, our audience as they're listening to this. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I also, just being on the investor side, and I, I've done a fair amount of investing over the years, I, uh, it's one of those, it's an experience thing as well. Usually somebody yeah. that's calling themselves a CEO, it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a uh, puff up your chest type idea. And uh, when, you've, when you really haven't earned the title yet, and, um, but a lot of people do it. And I bet you early on, I can't remember for sure, but I bet you an early company, I probably called myself CEO way too early. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I realized what, found out what the job really takes. And so, you, you know, when you're looking as an investor, it does, I think it shows a little bit of, um, inexperience to call yourself a CEO before you are, but that's, that's just my opinion. Not everybody yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Really interesting. Okay. So. At this point in time, I usually ask my guests if they could send a letter back in time to their younger entrepreneurial self, what would you include in that letter? What would you tell yourself? Now, you've been an entrepreneur all your life, so you can pick at what stage or what uh, era, I guess, that you're going to send that letter back in time. Um, so share with us who you're sending it back in time to, which, which uh, I guess, John, it was. And then what would you tell yourself? you know, the journey is, is so, um, is so up and down and exciting. I think that I would continue and, and it is how the, how it's gone, but I think that, um, one of the things that is always my favorite part is have fun. It's going to be tough. It's going to be easy. It's going to be tough, but, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta try and keep a smile on your face because that's just the way that it goes. And if you're fun and I create, and I crack most of the jokes around here, all dad jokes now that they call them, but, uh, puns. And yep. I've done that sort of all the way through. Um, it, it does raise up everybody and the people are the most important part of what you're doing there. The, so you spend eight hours a day with them. You might as well enjoy being with them. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. And hopefully they enjoy being with you too. And that, so those, those are sort of the things in the, in the toughest times you're going to get over it. Don't yeah. screw everything up. Yeah. The next day is another day. Right. And, uh, and that's the thing, if you're with the, with good people, if you've built that team, uh, then you can, you can face into those really crazy days and the adversity that comes with entrepreneurship. Yeah. You're a team. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, John. I really appreciate your time here today. If somebody wanted to connect with you to learn more about Earthware or just to, just to shoot the shit when it comes to entrepreneurialism, 
Um, what is it that uh, they should be doing? Should they be reaching out to you via the website or, or how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, so we have a contact form on our website. It's earthware.me. I haven't been able to get .com yet, but everybody knows earthware.me, so that's good. Uh, uh, and um, also my email address is jmckinnis, and I guess you'll be able to see it, but jmckinnis at earthware.me. Okay, perfect. Well, thanks again. Really appreciate it. And for those who are listening today and you really enjoyed this episode, you can check out our archives where we have all sorts of entrepreneur uh, stories over at amplifyyourbusiness.ca. And of course, if you're watching this and prefer an audio only uh, version of it, we're on all your major podcasting platforms. Just search Amplify Your Business there and you'll find us as well. Until next time, everybody have a wonderful, prosperous day. Bye.